Welcome to the Mission Driven Mom podcast. This podcast is for moms just like you who want to learn how to glorify God through finding and embracing true principles, discovering and developing your greatest gifts, and using them to serve your family and community. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Audrey Rinlisbacher, author of The Mission Driven Life and founder of The Mission Driven Mom. So glad you're joining me today. You may have noticed that uh, we haven't released a podcast for a couple of weeks, and that's predominantly for personal reasons. We've had some hard things going on in our family that I've needed to put time and attention toward in addition to other responsibilities with the mission-driven mom. And anyway, uh, things are okay and getting better. So I'm really grateful for that. God has been good and gracious to us. And so that is why I have not been here, but I'm glad to be back and should be continue to be here every week for you. I wanted to let you know, first of all, thank you for sharing out this podcast. Thank you for downloading and listening. Thank you for writing reviews. All of those things help us to grow. And we have launched a few interviews on this podcast. We hope to launch more. We're going to start doing more regular interviews, especially by the first of the year in our Mastermind Facebook group. And some of those will become podcasts as well. So if you haven't joined the Mission Driven Mom Mastermind Facebook group, we'd love to see you there. We do discuss lots of things and ask and answer questions and just generally talk about life mission. If you don't have your audio copy of The Mission Driven Life, I've been saying this for a couple months now because the website's supposed to be done anytime, but we do have a new website that's going to be coming out. Oh, and it's so pretty and it's so much better. I'm really excited about it, but it has been far more work than we anticipated. But when that new website is launched, we will have some other cool opt-ins for you on the homepage of things that you and your friends and family might appreciate. And the audiobook will go away, but the hard copy of the book will be available here in the next uh, six to eight weeks and be available for Christmas. So we're really excited to get that launched. Anyway, um, anyway, that's the goal. Don't, don't hold me to that because the printer is really far out. But anyway, working on the back end on some really great things that will allow us to handle more growth next year. So anyway, lots of exciting things happening and of course, hard things happening too. So joy and suffering, it's kind of what life is made up of, right? I hope you are well and hope this podcast finds you thriving in life. And I hope that the offerings at the Mission Driven Mom, our academy, our event, our past recordings, our Facebook group, our podcast can somehow aid you a little bit on that journey. Today, I want to tell you some stories. And I hope that through telling you these stories, that they will stick with you and remind you of a very important message I've been thinking about lately, because I have been tempted to run away from my problems. There have been hard things at my house this year, and there have been plenty of times when I just didn't want, 
you know, more hard news and just got a pit in my stomach and those kinds of things. And so I've clung to the tools, of course, that we teach in the MDM Academy, the true statements, the gratitude, the visualization, the scriptures, the prayer, all those things have been a huge aid to help me keep going. And something that I'll talk about today, but it is so tempting to run away from the problems that we face. And I'm going to tell you about three moms. The first one is Alice. She was a 36-year-old stay-at-home mom with three young children. Her husband was an attorney. And I want to tell you what happened to her. One day when she was younger, she was shopping with her children. And one of the children was up at the front of the shopping cart and was fussy. And so she handed the child a toy. And when she got up to the cashier, the cashier didn't ask about the toy that the child was playing with. And so she just didn't say anything. And she walked out of the store and she said that the first time that it happened, she felt this rush of excitement. She somehow felt strangely satisfied, like she'd gotten away with something. And she said that she started to chase this feeling, this rush of adrenaline and this feeling of satisfaction. So she got to know over time, you know, it was started small and a little bit unintentionally at first, you know, with taking this toy and then taking that toy and then she started to do it intentionally and sometimes her kids would be with her and sometimes her kids wouldn't be with her and she got to know the security systems at the local stores and this is kind of how she described it i'd come into the store and the anxiety would heighten as i saw the item i intended to steal i would come out of the store and have a huge rush as if i was high as if I was on drugs. It became my daily drug to the point that sometimes two, three, or even four times a day, she would intentionally go to a store to shoplift. She said, I would feel very uncomfortable at dinner, sitting across the table from my husband, talking about our days, knowing what I was doing behind his back and behind everyone's back in my family. So this went on for a few years and got to this point. And interestingly, she actually never stole anything very expensive. It's not like she was, you know, getting away with, you know, $1,000, $2,000, $3,000 worth of jewelry and hawking them and making money on the side. That didn't have anything to do with it. This was an emotion a chemical released in the brain that's connected to other activities like social media, like gaming and things like that. The feeling that, that exhilarating feeling of, of a high of dopamine and the anticipation of some, of gaining something. And she became addicted to that emotion. And she said, you know, like she, she said she chased it. So after a few years of this, she was in the store one day with her seven year old son. And they were watching her on the camera and saw her take something that she hadn't paid for. And so they caught her and they arrested her 
and took her and her son to the police station. And she said the worst part of all of it was the look on my son's face when the officer said to him, son, your mom is going to have to go to jail. So then she had to face her family and eventually she actually, I I heard about all these women on talk shows actually when they came clean and told their, their story publicly. And she said that the reason that she was willing to tell her story publicly was because I want to get the message out, she said, that you don't have to live in shame and secrecy. She said, it's dark, it feels ugly, it feels disgusting. I have to do the shopping for my family and I have to face the temptation to shoplift every single day. My biggest fear is that the temptation will never go away. She also said, I'm afraid people will think I'm not the person they know that I'm not the normal, compassionate, fun-loving person that I am. I'm afraid they're going to think I'm a shady, dishonest person. I'm also afraid people will pity me. So that's Alice's story. The next, these are all stay-at-home moms, ironically. (laughs) The next stay-at-home mom is Felice. She was a mom of six kids. I think the oldest was 15 or 16, something like that. She had a big house in the suburbs. Her husband had a successful career, and this was probably 20 years ago. He probably made, she said he made five or 6,000 a month. And so in today's money, that's probably 10 to 12. So it was a healthy income. They, she drove a new car, she wore new clothes. Every morning before school, they would, she would take the, all of the children to Starbucks. She said she almost never missed. And they would buy breakfast and, you know, coffee, drinks, whatever they wanted and spend three to four dollars, three to four hundred dollars a month at Starbucks. She said that she would spend most of her days doing some kind of shopping. And after school, she would often take her kids shopping. She maxed out her own credit cards. And so then she started using her husband's to get cash advances. It finally eventually came out that she was compulsive shopping and the number ran to about triple of their monthly income. She was spending triple that. She was getting her hair done, her nails done. She said that was the relaxing part of the day. I would spend thousands of dollars on nails, hair, and and tanning. That was relaxed her. She said she would go into the store and even if she didn't like anything, she would buy something just because she needed to buy something. And every time she shopped, she would usually spend at least three to $400 each time. She, they showed this, they went into Claire's, she took her kids into Claire's and they just picked out whatever they wanted. And it was like $150 later, I mean at Claire's and things don't cost very much at Claire's. And so she said, When I shop, I get a rush. It makes me feel good. Then afterwards I get depressed. And she had this habit of, well, she had all these murals painted in her house and she would resell her furniture every two or three years because she thought it was too old and buy new furniture. But she also had this really strange habit with clothing Everybody in the house, you know, she and all her kids would want new clothes. She especially would want new clothes and she'd want to shop and she'd want an excuse to buy more clothes. And so she would take her kids clothes shopping every month or two and buy them five or six outfits. 
and they would wear those for a month or two. And then she would have a garage sale and unload them all and then go buy more clothes. And so she actually showed the closets in the kids' rooms. The son had like one shirt hung up because his few clothes were being laundered and the daughter had like three or four shirts because she had a couple pair of pants at that point. And of course, they were embarrassed about it. She said, she said that when it was time to do a garage sale, she would be up all night thinking about it and being excited for it. It finally came to a head with her when her daughter, quote, graduated from kindergarten. (laughs) Whatever, graduate from kindergarten. Anyway, so her daughter was graduating from kindergarten and she was supposed to do this little, I can't remember if it was a presentation or a little paper she was supposed to write about what she wanted to do when she grew up. And she wrote, when I grow up, I want to be a full-time mom so I can shop all the time because that's what moms do is shop. That was her whole perception of her mom and of the world. And then, you know, she talked about, she started crying and she talked about how her mom was overbearing and made her feel like she never did anything right. And I, she says, I have a husband that does the same thing. So that's Felice. Then there's Jenny Lee. Jenny Lee was married and had a couple kids and things weren't going great in the marriage. And so I don't, she didn't, she didn't say what was kind of wrong in the marriage and why they were struggling. But I guess at some point during the marriage when things weren't going as well, but maybe before they divorced, her husband, she said, my ex-husband told me that my nose was too big and my breasts were too small. So I got a breast implant to stop the comments. And that led to a bad relationship between me and my reflection. After the divorce, plastic surgery became an obsession to me, for me. Today, I look nothing like I did when I was married to my ex-husband. Plastic surgery for me is like a drug because it's all I can think about it. It's the seduction of perfection and it's worth the pain. The post-operative pain is not nearly as bad as the pain I feel when I look in the mirror and I'm unhappy with what I see. If I could do this every day of my life, I would. Every day. I feel like I'm broken and I need to be fixed. So though that's what Jenny Lee said when she was 28 years old and she had had 26 plastic surgeries. And if you figure that she didn't start until partway in her marriage, those plastic surgeries couldn't have stretched over more than a few years. And it really was a complete obsession. She said, I've battled a poor self-image for a long time. I don't think more surgeries will make me fit in because I don't think I fit in. I'm trying to find some satisfaction with my reflection. She said that she guessed that the total cost of everything that she had had done at that point was $80,000. And in today's money, that would probably be over $200,000. She would gather pictures of famous people and pick out features in them that she liked. And then she would go have, have that done to herself. Scott Peck, and I'm sure that I have said this in a podcast before because I think it's such an important message. I'm going to say it again. He said, life is difficult. This is a great truth, 
one of the greatest truths. It is a great truth because once we truly see this truth, we transcend it. Once we truly know that life is difficult, once we can truly understand and accept it, then life is no longer difficult because once it is accepted, the fact that life is difficult no longer matters. Most of us don't fully see this truth that life is difficult. Instead, most people moan more or less incessantly, noisily or subtly, about the enormity of their problems, their burdens, and their difficulties as if life were generally easy, as if it should be easy. They voice their belief noisily or subtly that their difficulties represent a unique kind of affliction that should not be and that has been somehow especially visited upon them or else upon their families, their tribe, their class, their nation, their race, or even their species and not upon others. I know about this moaning because I have done my share. And he goes on. Life is a series of problems. Do we want to moan about them or solve them? Do we want to teach our children to solve them? Discipline is the basic set of tools we require to solve life's problems. Without discipline, we can solve nothing. With only some dis discipline, we can solve only some problems. With total discipline, we can solve all problems. I called this podcast, Are You Running Away? Because in all three of these tragic stories, these very good, well-intentioned mothers who seemed pretty normal, functioning out there in the world, being moms, being wives, were running away from emotional, spiritual, and mental problems they didn't want to face. Maybe they were marital troubles, but ultimately the problem resided within them. And they took their discomfort with problems that they didn't want to face and solve and projected it outward. They projected it into compulsive shopping, compulsive shoplifting, compulsive plastic surgery. And those things became an emotional distraction, right? They became obsessions. They, be, they, they did those things to experience some kind of high, some kind of emotional satisfaction to give themselves some kind of rush. And that's why, you know, Jenny Lee said, if she could have plastic surgery every day, she would because of the drug, the emotional high that she was feeling. It's an emotional escape. That all Addiction is always a way of quickly changing our emotions in the moment so we don't have to deal with the discomfort the discomfort, the uncomfortable emotions that need to be dealt with, the uncomfortable situations that we find ourselves in. And so we put ourselves in a position, whether we, you know, overeat or drink or whatever we do to run away from problems that need to be faced. And they become distortions of our personalities and they become distractions and they, they're very destructive. I mean, they're doing very destructive things to themselves, to their children, to their families, to their lives, even in every case to their finances. I mean, every part of their life was breaking down because they kept running away from their real problems, from their self-doubts, from their self-contrition, from their lack of confidence, from their lack of purpose, from their troubled marriages, whatever those difficulties were, they just behaved in compulsive ways instead 
to fill their lives with more positive emotions as a distraction away from those negative emotions. But of course, those short-term distractions, even when they're more innocent, can become compulsions and and they're always <laughs> they're always a bad idea, you know? You can you can bury yourself in excessive reading and TV watching, vacationing. I I was renting a car once next to a man who had his credit card was a um, credit card from a a cruise company. And the lady said, oh, you must take a lot of, go on a lot of cruises to have a credit card from the cruise company. He's like, oh yeah, I've been on, he said like 36, something like that, 36 cruises and counting. He just was always on vacation. So he didn't have to live life. We didn't have to deal with the real problems of, of day-to-day living. When we run away, we're trying to escape and hide, right? We do things out of balance, and the more excessively and compulsively we do them, the more we run away, the worse we damage every area of our lives our health, our relationships, our finances, our self-image, they all tank when we don't turn around and face our problems head on. In fact, this is what Peck goes on to say. What makes life difficult is that the process of confronting and solving problems is a painful one. Problems, depending on their nature, evoke in us frustration or grief or sadness or loneliness or guilt or regret or anger or fear or anxiety or anguish or despair. These are uncomfortable feelings, often very uncomfortable, often as painful as any kind of physical pain, sometimes equaling the very worst kind of physical pain. Indeed, it is because of the pain that events or conflicts engender in us that we call them problems And since life poses an endless series of problems, life is always difficult and is full of pain as well as joy. So that's the reality that we have been born into. Life is hard. We must emotionally accept that. It is full of problems and they're problems because they cause pain. And we avoid them and run away from them in order to escape to temporarily to more positive emotions. And that doesn't mean that a positive release isn't sometimes necessary and a break is definitely necessary. Meeting your needs is the first and most important front for being able to manage the problems in your life more effectively. That's why we hit that first in the academy. But ultimately, he goes on to explain that this is actually good news. He says, In this whole process of meeting and solving problems, life has its meaning. Problems are the cutting edge that distinguishes between success and failure. Problems call forth our courage and our wisdom. Indeed, they create our courage and wisdom. It is only because of problems that we grow mentally and spiritually. When we desire to encourage the growth of the human spirit, we challenge and encourage the human capacity to solve problems. Just as in school, we deliberately set problems for our children to solve. 
So this is a very, has been a very helpful way for me to think about the life that I'm living because it puts a completely different spin on the pain that I sometimes have to wake up and face. Those bits of news that I get that just put a pit in the bottom of my stomach, those ways that those things that happened to me that caused me to doubt my past choices. And, you know, I talked about this in an earlier podcast, how destructive that self-doubting is. But ultimately, we all don't want to be addicts. We don't want to be at the mercy of the problems that we face. We don't want to be failures. We don't want to fall on our face. We don't want to be deeply depressed. We don't want that, but sometimes it feels like that's the only option or it feels like that's the right option or it feels like that's the right response. And taking a break and looking things clearly head on and working to constructively problem solve, and there's actually a lot of tools in the academy about this as well, but doing that is so necessary because the only way to have meaning in life is to have problems worth solving. And what's so cool about that is the more worth solving the problem is, the more worth living our life is. And the bigger the problems that we solve, the bigger the positive influence we can have. So I want to read you from one other author that I love. This is Daniel Taylor. He says, Our greatest desire, greater even than the desire for happiness, is that our lives mean something. This desire for meaning is the originating impulse of story. We tell stories because we hope to find or create significant connections between things. Stories link past, present, and future in a way that tells us where we have been even before we were born, where we are, and where we could be going. Our stories teach us that there is a place for us, that we fit. They suggest to us that our lives can have a plot. Stories turn mere chronology, one thing after another, into a purposeful action of plot that creates meaning. If we discern a plot in our lives, we are more likely to take ourselves and our lives seriously. So we are storytelling beings. We live on story. We relish in story. Songs are little bits of story. Movies are stories, books are stories, history is a story, and we make our lives into a story. And sometimes we go back and try to erase whole portions and rewrite them to fit a present narrative. My husband saw this a lot with couples that did start out happily and did want to be married, but then tried to rewrite their history into something that it wasn't in order to justify current bad decisions. Uh, Taylor goes on to say, healthy stories challenge us to be active characters, not passive victims or observers. Both the present and the future are determined by our choices, and choice is the essence of character. If we see ourselves as active characters in our own stories, we can exercise our human freedom to choose a present and future for ourselves and for those we love that gives life meaning. 
So he talks, he goes on to talk about how characters are just individuals who are making choices based on their values. And so kind of the message I want to convey today is that running away doesn't work. And if there is something in your life, even something small, that as you listen to this, you know you're running away from, I want to challenge you to make a decision that you are going to be the kind of character in your story that you want to read about. That you're going to be the hero that turns around and tackles the enemy and wins. That you want to be the sort of person that finds greater meaning by solving greater problems and that you recognize that your problems make you who you are. They show you what you're made of and they help you rise to the occasion and be more than you were. I mean, nobody really grows much laying on a beach. It's in the pain and the struggle of that hero cycle that we're transformed. So I want to end by telling you about Tiffany. She is an awesome woman. She was very unhappy in her marriage. And she ran away from the problems in her marriage by eating a lot, by escaping into the culture she was presently in, by blaming and complaining about her spouse all the time, by being depressed, and constantly making her troubled marriage her husband's problem, constantly telling herself that she was powerless to do anything about it, and that she couldn't change her marriage. And I'm sure she made efforts, and I'm sure she said prayers, and I'm sure she tried to some degree. But ultimately, she was kind of being the victim, and she was definitely running away from doing the work she could have always done to heal her marriage. So she's in the middle of this struggle, believing that the marriage is all her husband's fault and she's miserable because of him and she can't change her circumstances. And one day she goes out to the mailbox and there's divorce papers there. Now her husband's still living with her and he's not said one word about wanting a divorce. He just simply went to an attorney and had papers served to her. And in this moment, something really beautiful happened to Tiffany. And I wish it would happen to more people who have these kinds of, you know, wake up calls because we all have wake up calls, right? Tiffany realized in that moment that she wasn't the only one that was miserable in her marriage, that her husband was just as unhappy as she was, so unhappy that he was willing to get a divorce. And that totally changed her frame of reference because I, I guess she really believed that she was a great wife and that her husband was really happy with her. She was just unhappy with him. But actually... <laughs> He was just as unhappy, so unhappy that he was really willing to call it off. And so she reached out and started to get some therapeutic help and actually um, learned many of the tools that we talk about in the academy, the real meaning of love, that love is an action, 
And she learned actions that she could take to show her husband how much he meant to her. And she worked her tail off loving him. She did all kinds of things for him that she was unwilling to do before. She apologized. She tried to make uh, restitution in many areas. She worked heavily on forgiving him. She served him in many ways that she knew he liked to be served. In fact, she even went so far, he had always wanted to um, go skydiving with her, and she had never been willing. And she finally decided to plan a surprise trip and go skydiving with him in order to show him how much she meant to him. And what's fascinating about this story is that it changed her. And they stayed married. And I don't know what happened to him, and I don't know how much he chose to change, but she fell back in love with her husband, and she saw the good in him, and she rose to the occasion. And can you imagine the kind of story she tells herself about herself now? Now she knows that she's the kind of woman that stands up to a challenge and conquers it. She knows that she will do whatever it takes to show the people nearest to her that she loves them. And she knows that she can overcome her blaming, her shaming, her negativity, and her depression because she did it. That she doesn't have to run away anymore. That she can gain the tools that she needs and face her problems and overcome them. So hopefully there was something in this podcast that stood out to you. Some small area of your life where you can face a problem that you've been running away from. And I promise you as you do that, you will find reserves of ability you didn't know you had. And you will find the elation that comes, the good positive endorphins that come when you really are the hero of your own story that you so desperately want to be. That you come a little bit closer to that better you that you hope that you can become. And if you're a member of our Mission Driven Mom Mastermind Facebook group, I would love to hear any anything that you want to champion in your life right now. Instead of running away, recognizing that problems are there to help you grow, to give your life meaning and purpose, and to show you who you really are. Thank you so much for joining me today. Again, run over to the missiondrivenmom.com and get your copy of the audiobook before it goes away in the next few weeks. Join our mastermind group if you haven't done that, and I will see you next time.